when um, somebody in, in, you know, Asian people, they talk about, you know, achievement, right? And so it was like put in the context of like, oh, first place, right? This is all, this is a very theoretical discussion. And somebody said, um, oh, you shouldn't be disappointed. Or I thought I interpret it as you shouldn't have a goal of not being first or the best or doing your best. And they said, no, no, that's not what we're trying to say. We're not trying to say, don't do your best or don't try to be the best. We're trying to say that if you strive there, if you hit number two or you don't hit your goal, don't feel like a failure and don't feel like a disappointment because wherever you end up would have been better had you where you would have been if you hadn't had that goal in the first place. You're listening to Chief Executive Ante, the podcast exploring the work lives of Asian Americans beyond the conventional doctor, lawyer, and engineer. I'm your host, Jennifer Dwan Faltz. One of my bigger life regrets, which I do not want to give my parents the satisfaction of admitting, was dropping out of Chinese school in eighth grade. I'd always been a star student because, you know, nerd, sweeping the annual speech contest four or five years running, but I always resented the extra school and homework time on the weekends. And there's probably some deeper-rooted dislike of my own identity that I am not going to get into today. But I took for granted that I would always be able to speak Mandarin, and so when school got busy, I used that as an excuse to drop out of Chinese school. Now, fast forward 20 years, and my spoken language has completely atrophied, and my reading and writing, which never really made it past Wang Dazong goes to the park with his dog, is just unspeakably bad. (laughs) I really came to regret my language loss when I became a parent, and my own grasp of Mandarin is just too clumsy to pass it on to my child. Um, And in my defense, when you really just need your kid to put on their shoes, you're going to revert to the language that is the easiest for you. Um, I missed the language learning window where my kid could have just absorbed another language, and now the few words that they do know sound like a make warren <laughs> in my efforts to atone for my failings i have been scrambling in terror periodically to find books and toys to teach chinese and i stumbled upon a kickstarter project back in 2019 um approximately 17 years ago, uh, for a company called Habby Habby. Their books come with a magic reading wand that reads authentic phrases and sentences in English and Mandarin, or Spanish if you get that version, and also plays fun sound effects that correspond with the text. I got to sit down with Hannah Chu, one of the two co-founders of Habby Habby, to talk about the company's origin story and future direction. Welcome to the show, Hannah. Thanks for having me, Jennifer. So... Tell me a little bit. I always start off with, tell me, what do you really do all day? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, that's such a good. Oh, I, you told me not to say that's such a good question. No, it's okay. <laughs> I <love> that. Yeah. <sighs> no, that's such a good question. I feel like every day is different. And I'm sure you feel this, too, especially as you become a mom. But it feels like you have multiple roles, right? So, um 
every day is filled with totally different priorities. And especially as an entrepreneur, because your roles are so varied and the priorities change every day, it's not like I only do marketing or I only do fulfillment or I only do strategy, right? It's you do everything. And so today you could be talking to a vendor and tomorrow you could be, you know, researching and writing a deck and the next day you could be just spending the entire day in the warehouse. So every day is different. Do you have a ballpark idea of like how much time you spend? I don't know. How much time you spend like in the business versus on the business? You know what I mean? Like how much time do you spend like on your own business processes and tools? And how much do you, time do you spend like doing all the work, doing all the actual work? Oh, uh, it's so interesting. I don't, I don't distinguish the two. Okay. I think um, I can't, I, one thing I have felt very deeply going through this process is I used to be a strategy consultant and management consultant. So there was a lot of um, problem solving and analysis and assessment of what sort of the right decisions were of very large and complex and messy problems. But now I find that, you know, for our business, it's very clear what we should do. And the ideas come very easily, but that's 1% of the time and 99% of the time is getting it done. Yeah. So yeah, I was going to um, ask, um, you know, did your business school background help you in this or is it just like a totally different oh, from what you learned in school? That's so interesting. I think, I mean, I started... In undergrad, and this is a random aside, I was a hum bio major, human biology. And, you know, I thought I was going to become a doctor like so many other Asian women. And um, and then I thought I was going to go to law school and I took the LSAT. But I thought, you know, consulting would be a fun interim thing before applying for law school. Anyway, all of my education, I think, has contributed to not sort of um, tactical skills in some sense, it's, it's much more like, I think there are two things. One is being able to say, I can um, solve most problems. Um, and then the second is, I think it's the confidence, actually, which I think mm. is separate than the ability, the confidence to be able to say, I can solve most problems, even if I don't know what I'm doing in the beginning. Yeah, um, I definitely feel yeah. that. Um, I have yeah, yeah. three degrees. I'm not directly using all of them, but I am using pieces of them. And kind of like you said, just the, I have done this before. I have done hard things. I have made things work. Like that's is probably what I use more day to day than any actual like, yeah, like you said, skills yeah. or tactics. Yeah, I think one of my biggest takeaways from business school at some point, I'm not a big finance person. I mean, if I really needed to sit down and you forced me to learn something, I'm sure it would be fine. But I think my biggest takeaway after my finance class was, okay, well, I just finished that and I probably will forget it. So if at any point I need it in the future, I feel confident that I have multiple people to call who will sit down with me and teach it to me and I can relearn it in the future, whatever I need to know. That was my biggest takeaway from, from school. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think knowing when, knowing when to outsource or get help is, I think, a big part in entrepreneurship because it's so tempting to try to just do everything yourself. And after a certain point, it just doesn't work anymore because 
A, I'm not good at it. B, I can't do it fast. C, I probably do it wrong. And it's like, okay, I probably just need someone to help me. here. Yes, 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 yes. Although right now we are, it's me and Anne Louise. And, you know, people always say like, who does your PR? Or like, you know, <laughs> who, who, wrote, who writes your books? And like, you know, most of the time the answer is we do. Obviously we don't illustrate and we're not the primary translators. And we, um, you know, don't do a lot of things where we have contract help out and with like brilliant and very talented people. Um, but we do do a lot of the things ourselves because we're like a two women show that we did recently hire somebody to help us with uh, logistics and fulfillment. And she's wonderful. That's awesome. So I would love to hear kind of the origin story of Happy Happy, not only how you came up with the idea, but like the execution. It's such a cool thing. I mean, I, I bought one last year, I think, um, I think it was on the Kickstarter. And yeah. I was like, you know, cause I had, I had this like wand thing in the nineties and it had like an electrode or not an electrode, but like it had some like wire thing on it. So it never worked properly, but this is like perfect. So I'm just so curious how you went from vision to execution, like tech, like all of it, lay it out for me. Oh my gosh. Well, I can go on forever on this topic. So if there's something you want to dig into a little bit more, um, just let me know and just stop me. So we started actually as a um, pop-up concept. I'm not sure if you know that. So Anne Louise and I were talking, We Anne Louise has a retail background. I have a consumer products background and we just really, and as moms, I think so many moms are in this space where you're immersed into mom products and your kids and you just think about all the things that you would love. And we would love to see a more immersive child and play experience. And so, for example, um, the way Sephora has updated and stayed current and innovated in the beauty space, we just felt like, for example, Toys R Us did not do that. Mm. And so we wanted almost to build that space. And so we tried but with an experiment and we you know, went to the Toy Fair in New York and we talked to all these brands with like this presentation, you know, literally based on a presentation. And we spent, the, and then, you know, it's so funny because Anne Louise, she's like very go-getter. She's amazing. And she just told all the brands, oh, we're opening this fall. And I said, oh my gosh, we're opening this fall? It's, it's February. This fall is like six months away. Don't commercial leases take a really long time. How is this going to happen? But she said it. And once she said it, it sort of put our feet to the fire. And so, you know, I was pregnant then um, about to have my second baby. So, you know, credit to her. She did so much of the sales work and, you know, we worked together to talk about the offering and with an architect and to build the concept and had a space in the Stanford Shopping Center, which is right next to, in Palo Alto, next to Stanford University and in the heart of Silicon Valley. And we put it together and we were really excited and we launched. And I think that experience taught us, we said, this is an incredible concept, but I think the only way you know, to bring it forward is to sort of go really big. And that would be a really big capital as an entrepreneur, that would be the venture capital route. And that would be the go big or go home, raise a lot of money, um, obviously to build both the tech behind it and to build all of the stores from an execution perspective. That was like a big, you know, 
thing. And I had just had my second baby and Anne Louise was, you know, thinking about having her second and very soon after I actually got pregnant with her second. And we said, um, maybe we don't want to go the venture capital run around next year to Seattle and LA and New York and just build all these shops because that would be, that would be overwhelming from a life perspective. And I think you as a mother also understand just there's so many things that you have to consider that you don't think about in your twenties about life, just like well, the feasibility of handling in your life. And so we said, the other thing we, there's two directions. The second direction is like, we would love to build. We were really excited about building our own product. Cause in this store, we highlighted and researched all these amazing products that we loved. Um, but of course there's something different. And there's something that you would always say when you research products of, Oh, I would love this if it were like this. And so we really wanted to make a sustainable product that really helped us that we don't like extra clutter in our houses and we didn't want something super seasonal and we didn't want something that was a fad. And, um, you know, in that, in the middle of that journey, we were looking for, um, I was teaching my daughter Chinese and we came across this technology and I said, this is, I said, Annalise, we have to make this. This is amazing. Like I am like in love with this technology, except that, you know, it's not multilingual and it's only in Chinese and the content is and the like execution of the books is very, um, is very fitting for a native Asian audience, but maybe less so for, um, a less fluent audience or, um, or even a different, you know, uh, different values audience. Um, and so the biggest things that, we wanted to do are, you know, around design, um, around simplicity. And I think the biggest things that we, um, if, if we really want to jump into product, I can go more into it, but really we focused on making it simple and accessible. So how do we make this product? We don't need an MP3 function. We don't need toggle between, you know, different languages. We don't need flashing lights. We don't need like a recording function. We just want it to work like to be easy so like you just turn it on and you tap anywhere we don't need a different pen for spanish we don't need a different pen for chinese like just one thing and you'll notice in our product it literally only has a power button and volume buttons and there's nothing else there's nothing yeah. else well besides the like cord to like charge it and a headphone jack but that's where you know ease of access um being able to bring it on the road and so simplicity was a big thing and the messaging was a big thing. So obviously the, um, you know, we've incorporated a lot of messages that were really important to us and values that we aspire to, whether it's, you know, trying to convey um, social emotional learning by saying words like I am powerful or I am worthy. Chinese the book people of emotions. I mean, I think I, my son was like three when we got it and, and he would just sit there and like, tap on the different emotions and I think he liked the music I think that was playing with me yeah, but I was like yeah. are you trying to tell me is like is this what you're are you trying to communicate with me like this is how you're feeling right now it was yeah. so fun it was so much yeah fun. and it's so interesting because a lot of times language learning is thought of as like flashcards and a curriculum and a certain amount of vocabulary like you start with these 10 words and then these 50 words and then these 100 words and for us, we think of it as, well, how do you learn English? It's really about exposure and immersion. And so what we really try to do is to make it, kids don't 
learn in the beginning. They play and play and learning are combined. And so we just wanted to make sure that's why we made every inch of the book tappable because mm-hmm. kids are not trying to tap to read. They're not tapping a sticker. They're not only tapping the words. They're not tapping individual words. They're just tapping for fun. So we wanted to make sure there was always a musical element on the page so they would stay interested. We wanted it, you know, like the fact that the emotional music matches the emotions that they're reading. Also some sort of subliminal learning, right? We just, we that's also why we didn't make it tap individual words to read because Mm -hmm. they're not reading they're just listening so we provide bite-sized pieces of content in the way they would hear it in real life so they wouldn't hear I am you know worthy they would hear I'm worthy you know like as a sentence like somebody would say that and so that's um that's what we tried to do how did you get all the moving pieces? Like, did you because ha- you had to get music, you had to get illustrator, you had to get who? Oh, like, I, know, I know you just mentioned like who writes the stories, and it's you, you too. But you know, yeah. how did all of that fit together? Yeah, so it started with you know, well, we needed somebody to make the product, so we. Um, I used to work in Asia and so I have some friends there and because my Chinese reading is very poor, I enlisted their help to try to help me navigate um, some research on finding who makes different products. And so what I told Anne Louise is, okay, I'm going to set up a trip for us. But in January of 2019, we said, we're going to launch for next holiday. So that would be, let's say, you know, September, October. And so in January, we went to... Asia. And we just visited suppliers. And, you know, that's the first thing. And sometimes people say, how do you start? And most of the things where we start, we have no idea. We just start by saying, okay, well, we need an illustrator. So where should we start? And, you know, it may involve like a text to a friend. Do you know anybody? Um, which then leads to another thing where it might start with Google, but that's usually how we start anything. Oh, we need an illustrator. You know, oh, we need a panel of translators, you know, because um, if you just have one person translating the transfer from English, it's very awkward, even if they're native. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We don't send it to a translation agency because I feel like it would, um, uh, there are a lot of bad translations out there. And so we, um, our, our process has been, we, hire a board of translators and um, they all represent different regions. So whether it's Taiwan or, you know, um, more Northern China, et cetera. And uh, we, and then we have different stages of translation. So the first stage is translating from the English to the Chinese or Spanish. But even then, if you have the English in your head, it's very hard to just think purely in the second language because you're trying to translate from the first. So then we have a second translator ignore the just never have seen the English and just look at the actual translation and then go, Oh, that's a little bit awkward. And then they'll fix it. And then we have a review panel that then reviews all the different translations and then says, Oh, well, I would say it this way. And I would say it this way. And then sometimes it's a regional difference. Then we just have to make a choice. Um, For example, like, you know, pineapple is bolo. It's also fengli. And, you know, there are even foods that are modeled after both pronunciations like bolo, bao, pineapple, bun, and feng li su, you know, the yes. pineapple thing, right? <laughs> oh, no, I'm so not like, <laughs> so yeah, everybody, everybody can say, oh, it should be bolo, it should be feng li. And it's like, well, actually it's both, you know, and um, it just depends where you're from. And so we just tried to make it consistent because it's written in simplified. And that was, you know, I'm from Taiwan, but 
it was just a choice because we have print minimums. And so you have to, right, and you can't yeah, you have everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really hard. Cause then you have to print so many versions and the printer has a certain minimum. So anyway, we had to make a choice. And so um, just because a lot of formal Chinese learning is simplified, we just went that direction. And so therefore the word choice sometimes is associated with that too. So we say, you know, um, instead of stuff like that. Um, yeah, I'm Taiwanese too. And so going through that, I was like, oh, I think I, I say that differently or I learned that differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's so interesting. I like, you know, you know, carrot is or it's and at first I thought I had just learned it wrong the entire time. Me but I was too. Like, no, <laughs> no, no, no. It's actually, there's like some people just say so anyway, and like, and you know, so anyway, it's just so, it's so interesting. Or like butter is like, uh, sorry, uh, or it's you know, or it's and those yeah. are all totally appropriate depending on where you're from. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I um I took a couple Chinese classes in college and I think the materials were offered in traditional or simplified for like the first three levels and I was like, "Okay, yeah. cool." And then I got to the fourth one and it was only in simplified and I was like, "I don't know how to read any of this." Yeah, oh my gosh, I had the same experience in college where because I learned traditional growing mm-hmm. up. Um they had given us a choice in college and I just wrestled with that choice for so long because I said, well, if I had to start over from the beginning, I might choose simplify, but I have this base and an identity and traditional, but then I started and then I realized that, you know, even if I had learned a certain amount, maybe I'd only gotten to like 10%. And so therefore I was like, Oh, but everything else is so hard. So I just went the, then I went the simplified route. Um, also just cause Yeah so many other reasons but yeah yeah um you're coming out with a big launch soon yes oh yes yes we have 13 new books um and so we will have a library of 20 titles in two languages chinese um and spanish so we'll have 40 titles in our library and yeah as you know we launched last year and so last year 2019's big goal was launch so just (laughs) come out with a brand, come out with a product and launch. And we started on Kickstarter. And then this year's big goal was we really want to have a meaningful library for our consumers and our community. And so that was that. Yeah, well, we we still just have the original four Kickstarter books. Or was it five? I think it was five Kickstarter books. And... And my kid still loves them. He still goes through all of them. And oh, the careers one. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, we love that one. I saw saw mommy as an entrepreneur. I was like, oh, it's me. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's so interesting because, you know, we love that book. And obviously that book, there's two things. One is it is a little bit more advanced because it says mm-hmm. mommy's entrepreneur. Oh yeah, there's words in there. And I was like, I don't know how to say product manager. Yeah. <laughs> entrepreneur, product manager, surgeon, all these things. Somebody asked us why we um, didn't use teacher instead of professor or doctor instead of surgeon. And I think it was a very intentional choice. Not that, you know, it's not good. It, it's, it's awesome if they can learn teacher and doctor because those are very common words and arguably used more. But we wanted to make a, a statement about mommy being at the top of her field. And mm. so um, obviously mommy teachers are amazing, but we just wanted 
this book to say in all the traditional fields, right? Whether it's academia or even staying at home where we call mommy, you know, the chief home officer or finance or, you know, law. Um, Mommy is a judge and not a lawyer. Mommy is a professor and not a teacher, you know, stuff like that. Um, So that was very fun for us to write. The second thing that we thought about when we were writing that book is even if product manager is not like, you know, amongst your top hundred vocabulary that you should know, it is still very practical. We tried to, all of our content is immersed in what do and should our children be exposed to. So in English, Mm -hmm. if your mommy is a product manager, what would you say? You wouldn't say my mommy works in tech. You would say my mommy is a product manager and probably pretty early you would learn those two words because that's what mommy does. And so we just wanted to reflect the world around us where it's just immersive content at different levels of complexity, right? So somebody might say, daddy and I are so proud of mommy. Right? Like is probably not one of the first words that you'd learn, but we should be able to say daddy and I are so proud of mommy, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why we included that sentence. Um, yeah, so, and, 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 and as a fun aside, we are having a, a, comp, um, a sister book or you could say brother book coming out of careers dads. And that one's really fun because there obviously we're making a different statement, um, but we still have, you know, the stay-at-home moms, so the chief home officer's equivalent in dad we have a firefighter astronauts you know a mayor um all these like adventure capitalists and there we're sort of representing different places where daddy can make an impact that is not that is also less traditional yeah i love that and i think one thing that i really love about the happy happy brand is that everything does seem so intentional and carefully thought out and nothing is an accident. Um, and I bet you've put a lot of work into making Oh that. my gosh, thank you for noticing. It's so, it's so amazing because we're always, you know, Anne Louise and I are just, oh my God, the to-do list is so overwhelming. We just need to get do, do, do and cross off things and just move, move, move. And we're so behind on so many priorities. And, and so we're so... Um, had so much heads down working that it is amazing when people, you know, stop and just tell us what they appreciate and what they notice. And we're like, oh, wow, they noticed the detail. No, I definitely, I definitely noticed the detail. I mean, I work with a lot of of businesses and, and, you know, and first people who are just starting out, like, no, do not spend $5,000 on this thing when you're just starting out. But once you've grown to the stage that you're at, like, I I, def, I definitely noticed the the level. Oh, of the detail thank you, thank attention. you, thank you. Oh, thank you. It's so funny because we're constantly noticing more details, and we're like, oh my gosh, this could have been so much better. We'll do that in the next reprint or something, you know. Um, um, so thank you for noticing. It's very encouraging. I mean, we get sometimes we get these incoming emails. Actually, that's what we put on our site. The reviews, um, we don't have formal reviews. We're not on Amazon. Most people don't take time to like write reviews on the brand sites. They usually do it for Amazon and also which is not that big yet. Um, uh, on our review site, we basically have just taken screenshots of things that people have sent us independently or things that have just shown up on groups that people just then screenshot and send to us. We're like, Oh, it's like just received so much energy and um, enthusiasm from the community. And it's very encouraging. 
I have a, I keep a little like document in my Google drive of like nice things people say about me. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. That is actually, that is such a good practice. That is such a good practice. We should do that. We should should do that. And and honestly, probably like every couple of months, I'm like, I'm just going to look at that. And like read through it and tell myself yeah, that it's so I'm the encouraging. Shit, man. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so encouraging. It's so um, it's very important. Um, I am curious, like, how do you balance attention to detail and also just getting it out the door? Because I, I, I know that I will just if if I if I'm not careful, I will just like pick something off the deep end and not ever be able to get anything out the window. But I'm curious how you balance that. That's a really good question. One thing I think helps is that there's two of us, Amelie's and I, because um, we'll sense check and pressure check um, thing, pressure test, uh, different things that we care about. That's one thing. The second thing I think is, we have certain milestones and goals and, and it's interesting because we like started this year with like 10, like we started like this like list, this long list. And, but the, at the top was, you know, we need to, we want to expand our library. And so therefore we just, I don't know if I'm really answering the question, but we just sort of said, well, we have to launch by the fall. And therefore I think that provides a little bit of fire. So if we can change it, and we do notice, and it can improve the product, we'll get it done. But if it's at the cost of not getting it done, then we won't. Obviously, we won't probably put something about that we don't feel comfortable with. So there is this sort of internal base threshold of, are we happy to put our names behind it? And are we proud of it? Right? But if like, the spacing is like, slightly off, would we like throw them all away? No, you know, something like that. Um, so yeah, I, I think it, it, it is, it's hard, but I think because we're in a constant discussion about it, which was my first point about just being me and young ways, I think it helps. And I think the second thing that helps is having those goals in place because that provides pressure of whether it's like really important. And then the yeah. third is, do we feel comfortable attaching our names finance that you, that's usually the red line. It's like, Oh no, no, no. I don't want that out there or, mm, okay, that's fine. It's okay. That people, people will be okay with that. So yeah, one of my friends, This and this was a conversation I had years and years ago, but it really kind of changed my life because I kind of got into this phase where I was like, I'm not going to have any goals. I'm tired of being disappointed, blah, 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 blah. And he was like, well, a goal isn't just like a yes or a no. A goal is like a litmus test for everything else. Like, does this action over here get me closer to that goal over there? If it does, do it. If it doesn't, don't. And I was like, oh, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's Having so interesting. Like, you know, like a, like a North Star almost. Like, are you going to get there in this year? Maybe not, but is it going to get you closer or farther from that? And that's been yeah. really just have like a big overarching, like, I'm not going to get there right away, but it will let me decide whether I should do this or not do this and take this project or not take this project. So. Yes, totally. It's so interesting that you talk about that being a really big insight. I think I had a similar sort of revelation about that point when um, somebody in, in, you know, Asian people, they talk about, you know, achievement. Right. And so um, it was like put in the context of like, Oh, first place. Right. This is all, this is a very theoretical discussion. And somebody said, um, Oh, you shouldn't be disappointed. Or I thought I interpret it as you shouldn't have a goal of not being 
first or the best or, or doing your best. And they said, no, no, that's not what we're trying to say. We're not trying to say don't do your best or don't try to be the best. We're trying to say that if you strive there, if you hit number two or you don't hit your goal, don't feel like a failure and don't feel like a disappointment because wherever you end up would have been better had you than where you would have been if you hadn't had that goal in the first place. And that was my like revelation, like, oh, it's not about not striving for it. It's just not beating yourself up about it if you don't reach that destination. And I felt like, I don't know why now it seems so obvious, this statement, <laughs> right? But like that time it like shattered my mind. I was like, oh my gosh, that's so insightful. <laughs> uh, did you grow up kind of with the like tiger mom environment where you did have to be this kind of, I'm all, I'm always, I always ask my guests like, so what do your parents think about what you do? Oh, so interesting. Yes and no, in the sense that I think my parents are very traditional and they had a very specific archetype of what they thought was successful and what they wanted to do, uh, what they thought I should do. So that's why there was a very big push. My dad was a chemistry PhD. He had saved his PhD books for me and thought they were like, amazing. <laughs> and I was just like, I can do high school chemistry and I did fine in college chemistry as well. It's just, it was really not intuitive and I don't love it. Um, so in some sense, they are uh, the traditional Asian parent. But in, in another sense, like I think that I, I think high school was my big turning point where I realized that that's when I sort of gained a lot of confidence. And I think in, in, in things that I chose to do, not what they told me to do, like I did a lot of um, speech and debate. And I think that was very um, important to my uh, creating my own voice. Um, and that's not something that they understood. It's not like they said, oh, join, you know, the math club or something like that. Um, so, and then since then, I think I therefore have had a very strong opinion of what I would like to do. So of course I'm influenced by them. Like, you know, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. And then I tried to tell them once that um, I wanted to be a lawyer. And then they thought that they pulled out the Chinese newspaper and they pointed to all the lawyer ads. And then they said, look how many lawyers don't have jobs. And I said, I said, Oh my gosh, but that's not what I meant when I, you know, there's so many different types of lawyers, but I think they're very supportive of what I want to do. Um, I just have to explain it sometimes. So, um, and, and, and so right now, like it's the same thing with happy, happy is like, they sort of know and they've seen the product and they love the product. Um, they're just really excited to see where it goes, right? But I, it, it, things have become much more chill over the years. <laughs> I think that happens when they get older and also as you grow your own sense of self. Yeah, I think, yeah. And I, I've, ta you know, I've talked to plenty of Asians who are like, oh, my parents don't understand me. They don't support me. And I'm like, but have you actually explained to them? Because yeah, I think you're right that sometimes it's not like, animosity or like trying to control yeah. they just don't get it you know well, yeah, they just don't What's know a blogger? Just don't what do you mean a blogger go on youtube <laughs> like, yeah 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 this is what i do and this is how i make money they're like oh okay <laughs> yeah yeah exactly like i think it's like um they just want to know that you're in a good place and yeah. they don't have to worry about you you know and i remember when i first applied for consulting and at that point my parents still thought i had got them over the hump of law school and said i was going to apply to law school and 
I had even taken the LSAT just to comfort them to say, see, I will get into law school. Don't worry. You are you know? not the and first podcast guest who has done this. Yes. Yes. Oh Very my God. Asians. Yes. And then when I got into consulting, um, you know, I worked for the Boston Consulting Group, which is BCG, but my mom misheard it and said BGC and she kept looking it up and she was very worried. She'd never known what this consulting thing was. And she said, and I looked up and I can't find BGC. Are you sure it's a real company? And I was like, oh my gosh, no, you like spelled it wrong. Um, but they, they didn't really understand. Yeah. But I think, yeah, most of the things um, yeah, just explanation. I mean, sometimes I've, what I've learned over the years too is not to explain things too early because if it's too theoretical, mm-hmm. then it results in this very theoretical discussion back and forth. Just like wait until you're in a good place and just say, this is what well, I'm That's a hot tip. Do. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing with children too. Like don't explain, don't explain to children, children and your parents, like same... <laughs> Same strategy. Don't explain things too soon because then they'll just get confused and worried for no reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but most importantly, they, they, you know, obviously there's this huge and strong base of like unconditional love. And I feel that all the time and I feel that support. And so I know that no matter what I do, they're very supportive. And I know that at this point they feel confidence in my decisions too. So I feel infinitely lucky to have them as my parents. Um, But yeah, it has been a very interesting, you know, there's a lot of empathy also now that I'm a parent too, Mm -hmm. right? Just Mm -hmm. thinking about how they parented. And I'm sure there's a lot of them in me that I don't even realize. Oh, man. As with every passing year, I'm like, whoo, I know who that, I'll say something and be like, oh, I know who that sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think I was going to do that, but here I am. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any advice for other Asian Americans who want to start, you know, a product-based business like yours? Oh, that's so interesting. I think my biggest thing, I spent 10 years in consulting and then I chose to leave. And it was a very difficult decision actually to leave because you've invested 10 years. And it's not like I didn't like consulting. Like, you know, chemistry is very easy to decide. Like I did not want to be a chemist, but you know, because I clearly stayed long enough because I was having fun and I enjoyed the work and I loved my team and it was just so interesting. And I made an analogy constantly, like I was baking a cake and the cake had already, like, I'd already mixed all the ingredients. Literally, it's just sitting in the oven. Like, there was very little for me to do besides letting inertia carry me and doing all the things that I was so used to doing for, like, 10 to 20 years, right? You're just, you're so used to taking these meetings and having these presentations and doing this analysis and working with teams. And, you know, you just get so used to that. All you have to do is do the same thing that you wanted to do for the last 10 years. And I think the reason I left, and this is a very long answer to your question, but the reason I left is because I said, well, 20 years from now, if I play this out, even though I'm enjoying what I'm doing now, 20 years from now, will I be happy about where it takes me? And I realized that I would have given all of my energy and time to the profession, which is fine when you're like 20 to 30 and just trying to absorb and learn as much as you want. But there were other things that I wanted to do. I wanted to be in the Bay Area to be closer to my parents. I wanted to try other things. I wanted to, um, and it's not to say one is better than the other, but I primarily did it so that I wouldn't regret my decision. And because I knew that 20 years down the line, when I was, you know, like 50, I didn't want to 
just have been, you know, um, be in the space I would have been had I stayed. And so uh, my biggest thing for Asians, because I think Asia, East Asians in particular have a, um, are more conservative and they typically follow a more traditional path and we're less willing to take risk. And so even though my risk relative to a lot of people's risk does not seem like a risk, I think it is not a decision that most East Asian people would have made because it would have felt like giving up too much. It would have, whether it was in terms of salary, prestige, identity, and all of these other reasons. And so I think my biggest, and that doesn't mean that my decision is right for most people. It just means that I think for most people, my biggest advice would be to not let, um, not let the past dictate what you should do in the future. And also, to not let others people's validation of yourself dictate how you should live your life. Because I think so many people have a sense of, well, if I left and did something else, what would I say that I would do? Like, it was actually very hard for me to answer when I first left because people would say, what would you do? And I thought, oh my gosh, I don't know how to explain. What do I do? So now, you know, sometimes it's just easier to, especially before we started Happy Happy, just to say, you know, you're a homemaker because it's just, easier it's easier to identify but i think identity is really important validation is unfortunately very important for a lot of asian americans just because of the way we were brought up so as much as we can go back to ourself and have a strong center and say what do i what do i want um even if i made you know even if it's a wrong decision at least it's your decision and you mm -hmm. learn from it um but i know too many people i think who stay in what they stay in because they're not because they want to be there. It's not an intentional choice. It's a passive choice. Hmm. So I would just say, try to make, try to find the strength to make active choices. And it's always easier earlier than later. Yeah. Definitely. And the second thing I would say is, you know, people would say, oh, well, this is not a good time. It's never a good time. There's <laughs> yes, never, exactly, ever, ever. exactly. There are, there are worse times than others, but there's no such thing. There is no good time. <laughs> Especially if you're 22, like, it's not going to, they're not going to be a better time. Like, you're not tied yeah, down. No, you're not. no. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. 20s to 30s, like college to like, until you have kids, it's like the best time to do and explore anything and everything. And I wish I could tell every person who's like not yet had kids and is in college that that's like the 12 year period, you know, that's, people should just explore and try things and do everything and make mistakes and follow people that you admire and just do whatever you want to do because it's, it's okay then. And it's so much easier then. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Hannah. Uh, where can people find you online? Oh, we're at um, happyhappy.com and people say, how do you spell that? It's like happy, but with B's and I's instead of P's and Y's. So H-A-B-B-I, H-A-B-B-I.com. And our Instagram is at behabby, B-E-H-A-B-B-I. All right. Well, I cannot wait to see the new books. I will be, I'll be sharing videos of those when I get mine. So, but yeah, thank oh, you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We're so, we're so thrilled to have this conversation today. 
Thanks for listening to Chief Executive Anti. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe with your favorite podcast player and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps get the word out about the show and provides the external motivation I need to keep going. You can find show notes, links, and other resources at chiefexecutiveanti.com. That's chiefexecutiveauntie.com. Special thanks to Sue Ann Shaw for mixing and mastering this episode, composing the music, and generally being a good human. Alyssa De La Rosa for creating the branding and my distribution partner, Mochi Magazine. See you next time. Thank you.